Thank you, Lord. Open your Bibles to Isaiah 61. If you can't preach after that, we probably can't preach at all. Amen. <laughs> well, the Lord's going to, he's not done yet. I, I believe there's really just, just things going on right there as we worshiped, you know, that sometimes God doesn't need, he doesn't need us up front to say anything or do anything other than just going with the flow of his spirit, but that the Holy Spirit is moving in your hearts around the room and doing all kinds of things. And so uh, he's not, he's not done yet, but I'm thankful for what he's already done. Uh, We needed to get to a point of freedom and breakthrough, I think, to go where we need to go today. So I'm encouraged. Uh, Today we're going to be in verse 7 of Isaiah 61. I'm just going to start in verse 4. If you're a guest or if this is your first time in a while, we've been in this uh, study of Isaiah 61 going verse by verse uh, for a number of months now. I believe this is since the start of the summer. So we're, we're hitting the fall and we should finish this before Christmas, maybe. So, um, probably before Thanksgiving, even. So, uh, verse 7. We've been rolling. Last week, we did two verses. So, um, let's read verse 4 through 7. And then we're going to focus in on 7. It says this, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God, and you will feed on the wealth of the the nations. And in their riches, you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. That's good, huh? Right there, that kind of preaches itself. We're going to dig into it a little bit. But today we're going to talk about a great, another great exchange. You know, Isaiah 61 is the, the chapter of, of great exchanges where... We, we trade in ashes and we get beauty. We uh, trade in our mourning and we get gladness and joy. We trade in our, our despair and our depression, our heaviness, and, and we receive a garment of praise. Uh, and right here, there's an exchange going on that says that we will receive, uh, instead of shame, we'll receive a double portion. Instead of dishonor or disgrace, that we're going to receive basically everlasting joy, unstoppable joy. And so that's that's the, that's the trade that's going on here. And so God wants to trade some things today. He wants to take shame from you. And he wants to let you, he's telling you through that feedback. Okay. God wants to take shame. You know, shame is a, uh, is a powerful enemy, but it's not powerful enough. <laughs> Shame is a shame is a thing that can kind of kind of totally disable somebody's spiritual walk. It can totally hinder you from walking close to Jesus. There's not 
one person in this room that probably has not done something that you're ashamed of in here. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, don't, we don't, we're not going to go there very long, but we're just going to get the point a little bit here. There's, there's not one of us in this room that has done something that, that we wouldn't want, you know, played on the video screen. And most of us, if we're honest, we've got, you know, I've got whole movies that I don't want you to see. Okay? There's whole, there's whole mini-series, you know? I mean, just whole seasons of things. You know, and, and that's the reality. It's the reality of a broken world. It's the reality of sin. It's the reality of the brokenness that we're born into, that we choose, uh, that we live in, and then Jesus calls us out of it. And so... The good news is that Jesus died on the cross, that He took our shame upon Himself. Now, shame shows up early on in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 2, we're going to go to the origin of shame before we get to the the trade-up with the double. We're going to get a a double today. Genesis chapter 2. And verse 25. So this is, in Genesis 1, God creates the earth. And then in Genesis 2, it talks about the, the creation uh, from kind of, Genesis 1 is like kind of from the heavenly standpoint, and then Genesis 2 is kind of the creation from kind of the view from earth, kind of the, the camera right on the ground, so to speak. And so God puts, you know, the, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden, and they're given charge over everything on earth, and they're told to take dominion. And it says right at the end of verse or chapter 2, it's something very important here. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Okay, so that's, that's where creation starts. Creation starts with no shame. Okay? We were created without shame. So that shame is not a tool of God. Okay, shame is not, you know, the Holy Spirit's way to make you feel bad so that you can, you know, make sure you pay for what you did. No, that's the shame is not was not in the original creation. And so it says in verse one of chapter three, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will surely die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Now, here's the deal. This is not not just about physical bodies going on right here. This is not just, you know, the, 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 the physical shame that we would feel if we were naked in a room together. You know, all those dreams you have in junior high where you come to school and, you know, you just can't find your clothes or whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, all those, all those silly things, you know, this is, this is not that. There was something deeper going on here. It was like th- their life was now exposed to sin. And when they exposed their life to sin, they know, so their eyes were open and say, hey, look, all opening of eyes is not good. 
right here. That's what this shows you. This is a, a revelation that was from not from the good side, from the from the bad side. And they realized they were naked. And so what happened was shame began to rush in on them. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the, to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it interesting? That uh, they didn't know before that something had to happen where they had to realize. See, that's why I believe there, it's, this is not just a physical thing that's going on here. There's something spiritual that was that was released, and it was the the spiritualness uh, of of shame that came upon them. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? You know, we don't we don't understand the innocence. That Adam and Eve were walking in before. I mean, it's, it was so innocent that God said, who told you that? You know, you didn't even you didn't even know that you didn't even know that it was like you, you couldn't have known that you weren't created to know that. Have you eaten from the tree I've commanded you not to eat from? And the man said. Like any good man. <laughs> well, actually, right. No, not a good man. This is now a shame filled man. So here's what the shame-filled man does. The woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And God ignores that for right now. He doesn't address that situation with the man. He said, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Notice it says the man was never deceived. He just ate. <laughs> just leaving that's for free for all us guys here right now the man wasn't deceived he chose he chose to do it the woman it says was deceived so the lord god said to the serpent because you've done this Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals and all this stuff happens. I'll put him in between, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbirth. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, uh, cursed is the ground and it will produce thorns and thistles. You're going to have to work really hard. and Things aren't going to work out. Everything, everything has changed. All of creation is affected, in other words. Everything is now broken. The plants don't even grow the way they're supposed to grow anymore. The trees aren't the same. Everything was devastated in, when sin entered the world. All of creation was scarred. All of it was, was marred. It was deformed. It was, it, was, it was perverted. It was another version of the creation. It wasn't the way it was meant to be. And what we see here is we see a, the, the first man and the first woman who before when God comes, man, they're just running towards him. They're, they're excited. They, they are not, they're not, 
you know, they have no shame, basically. There's no, there's no thought in their head that I should run away from God or there's something wrong with me or I've done something terrible. But immediately after sin comes, it says they begin to hide themselves. They begin to try to, try to cover themselves. And that's exactly what happens with, with shame. You know, there's no shame without sin. Now, shame comes in, into our lives in two ways. Number one, through our own choices. Like I said before, we've all done things. Man, I was... <laughs> I'm going to go there. <laughs> For years, I was stuck in a shameful addiction to pornography and masturbation. You don't hear that word in church too often, do you? It's shocking to me to say it. Years. Years. Here's the deal. The odds are in this room, according to the research, 50% at least of men in this room, you are sexually addicted to something. Maybe we're beating the odds. I pray we are. And here's the deal. It's not about performance. It's about being free from this. It's about being free from shame. You know how shameful you feel when you do something that you know is wrong and you can't stop? For some people, it's anger. For some people, it's sex. For some people, it's drugs. For some people, it's, it's greed or theft. Or, you know, for some people, it's lying. Whatever it is. After you do it, there's the rush of shame that comes upon your life. And it wants to drive you away from God. Notice, you know, I'm going to rock our theology a little bit here. God, you know how it says God can't be around sin? We kind of, we kind of have that whole idea that God can't be with sin. Look, God shows up right in the middle of sin. There was nothing stopping God from getting to Adam and Eve. What was stopping God from getting to Adam and Eve was Adam and Eve running and hiding from God. You know, there's no wall he ain't going to go over and kick down to get to us. And so the loving father comes and, and instead of instead of coming with his 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 wrath first, you no, know, what does he come? He calls out, says, where are you? Where are you? Who told you that you were this way? How did you begin to believe that? How did you begin to believe that I made you this way? That I want you to stay this way? The other way, the other way shame comes into our lives now is because we live in a sinful world and people do things to us that humiliate us. You know, I, I love reading the in one of the books, I think it's Danny Silk's book on raising kids, they, they tell a story about, um, I don't know if it was his kid or, or somebody else he was talking about, how uh, I believe it was a little boy or a little girl, one of the two. <laughs> a child. A child who was at the school age, and yet they, they wet their, their pants. You know, they, they wet themselves. And... 
you know, be easy to come and say, oh, come on, man, don't you know? You're old enough to know not to do that. But instead, this parent, whether it was Danny or somebody else, immediately rushes in and just covers them up and grabs them and holds them with all their wetness and all their stuff coming out on them and says, come with me, I'm going to rescue you. That's what it looks like when God comes to us in our shame. Man, we have made a mess. We're not pretending that, it's, that a mess has not been made. We're not pretending that it's not shameful, that there is not something just sliming us and covering us and overwhelming us and stopping us from getting to Jesus. Or trying. But it's a loving father who comes and says, No, I'm going to cover that. I'm going to rescue you from that. I, w- I don't want you to be humiliated in front of everybody. I don't use shame to motivate you. I don't, I don't use it to drive you to get better, to, to make you be a better person. No, I'm going to cover that. I'm going to, I'm going to release you from that. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to release it upon myself. You know, and just like Adam and Eve, what happens in our lives is we run and hide. And there's only one person who can free us, and that's God Himself, the Lord God. Only He can free us. In that moment, what does it say that God did for Adam and Eve? It says, God, you know, God was the first one to kill anything on our earth. He didn't want to. Wasn't his intention. Looks like we wouldn't have been hunting, guys. Sorry. <laughs> it was after the flood that he said, "Go ahead and you can kill the animals." So <clears throat> before that, I guess we were all just vegans. <laughs> I don't know. Something was. Everything was totally different. You get that. Every, everything was was changed around, and so um, God's the first one. He kills one of the animals. He has, to kill, he has to kill one of his own creation in an act to say, oh, we need to cover this sin for now. We need, to, we need to have blood to cover that because only with blood is sin forgiven. And of course, it was a picture. It was a, a foreshadow. It was a, it was a, a vision ahead of, of Jesus, of God later on, taking what is most precious to him, the father sending his only son and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have him killed. And his blood is not going to be good for just one time. His, good, his blood is going to be good for all time. Forever and ever and ever. And eternal salvation and eternal freedom and eternal deliverance and eternal covering and release and cleansing of shame forever. There's many, you know, just like Adam and Eve, we have all kinds of reactions to shame. Uh, number one, we just kind of hide. We just kind of hide out from God. We just kind of pull back. You know, that's that's the power of shame. We we isolate ourselves when we're when we're stuck in whatever that is, whatever that place is, where you're like, how did I end up here again? How did I end up here again? And the and the power of shame is this: to keep you there, to keep you hidden, to keep you isolated. When freedom is in the presence of God. When freedom is in God Himself, where He's going, calling out to you, where are you? I want you. I still want you. Can you believe that? That God still wants us? That He still desires to be with us? After what I've done? After what you've done? That He still says, I want you. I want to be with you. I love you. 
You know, the other thing we try to do is we try to, we're like Adam and Eve. We get the fig leaves out. We just try to cover it up, right? You know, I don't know much about fig leaves, but I know I don't want to wear them. <laughs> okay? And you're glad I'm not wearing them. I mean, just remove that image from your mind in the name of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it wasn't, you can't tell me that they did a good job, right? <laughs> I mean, Adam and Eve were just like, I guess we make some clothes now. Let's, how about some leaves? You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. It probably wasn't very, uh, you know, it's just not good. And that's the same thing that happens with us when we try to cover ourselves. You know, sometimes we use pride to cover up shame. We put on a good face and we're, we're like, I'm really good at all this stuff. And I'm going to let people know how amazing I am, that I'm the, I'm the stuff, man. I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life covering up my shame with a macho pride attitude. I'm going to be proud of, I'm going to, you know, show you all the things I've done. I'm going to tell you how important I am. I'm going to emphasize my life solely. I'm going to be so self-absorbed. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's just good works. You know what? We're just like, I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to be real good. And so I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to do all this good stuff. I start serving. I start doing things. It's, it's all good, but it's from the wrong motivation because I'm trying to make up for my loss. I'm trying to, to cover my own shame. I'm just, I'm just sowing fig leaves spiritually over my, over my shame and saying, okay, I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm just going to, I'm just going to work a little bit harder. I'm going to pray a little bit more. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do all the things right. Wow. Sometimes uh, we just use, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get busy with my life. <laughs> Whatever that is, we don't know. So it's okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just go into life. I'm just going to do, I'm going to stay busy. I'm going to keep myself doing stuff and I'm just going to cover it up. I'm just going to ignore it and hope it goes away. It's the fruit of shame is trying to cover things up on our own. Number three is this. Sometimes we just, we just go to the realm of judgment. We start, we want to, because I'm so ashamed, here's what I do. I want to point my finger at somebody else and say, hey, look at that guy over there. And we start, we, we accuse people. We, we point the finger. We're judgmental. We're saying, hey, you know, we, sometimes the most, you know, the people that are caught in the most bondage are the ones that shout the loudest at sin. You know, I remember there's a there's a pastor and I won't say his name because I don't want to I don't want to denigrate anybody. But man, one of the one of the one of the pastors that was a, a leading pastor in the nation, very well known. This is a number of years ago. Uh, he was one of the most vocal opponents of homosexuality and homosexual marriage and all that whole thing. So he's like kind of one of the spokesmen, like saying, no, we're standing up for purity and what God says in the word of God. And this is not the way, this is a perversion of creation and all that stuff. He's saying all that stuff. And guess what happened to that guy? It came out that he was seeing men on the side and hiring people to, to, to have sex with them. As a pastor, he's a married man and he's finding, out, finding male prostitutes. Now, here's the thing. We can join in and say, man, look at that guy. And it's like, no, you know what was happened? That guy was caught in shame. He made choices. Absolutely. He sinned. 
Maybe he wasn't deceived like Adam. He just chose to do it. But he was caught in bondage. And in order to cover his shame, he was the loudest voice against what was enslaving him. Sometimes that's the case. You find someone who is really a kind of a Pharisee, a little bit legalistic on something, where they're just harping on that thing all the time. And it turns out, hey, that's the bondage they're stuck in. And so I don't want to be the one to point the finger. I don't want to try to... It's because all we're doing is the, the diversion. What, what, did, what did Adam do? God said, hey, what happened? She did it. <laughs> I mean, all that was is pointing the finger. It was a judgment. Who is the one who is wrong, ultimately wrong in this situation? It is her. And that's what we do when we try to cover our shame with judgment. We're pointing at someone else and saying, look at what they did. It's worse than me. And you might be able to find somebody that's done some worse stuff than you. But all I am doing is trying to cover up my shame. This is the sharing of shame. You know, be careful of that phrase, shame on you. I know it's kind of a colloquial thing, but just, you know, I don't want shame on anybody. And I know most of the time we say that it's just a habit and we don't mean it. But I really really dislike shame and I don't really want it on anybody. I don't want them to feel ashamed of what they did. I want them to be free. I don't want people to be... Because berating people never gets them free. Trying to say, hey, if you would... Man, just stop. Just stop, dude. Can't you do it? Come on. Try harder. It's not the gospel. The gospel is not try harder. The gospel is surrender to Jesus. You know, on Wednesday night, we're doing the study... Well, some of us are. I was in Foundations, but I did watch the video. I love the first study last week was Louis Giglio talking about the story of David and Goliath. And he said there's a whole different uh, angle that he comes at from it is this. It's what is the study called? Goliath must fall. So he talks about, you know, all growing up, if you grow up in church, or you've been in church a while, you hear the story of David and Goliath and you're like, hey, everybody says, hey, you're David, you're going to beat your giants, man. If you're, you're going to overcome, you're going to be an overcomer. You're going to you're going to take the stones that God gives you. God's going to give you something and you're going to have the victory. And here's the deal. Louis Giglio comes at it from a different angle, and says, wait a second, you're not David. You're not the one that's going to beat the giant. Jesus is David. The one who's going to beat your giant is not you. It's not you trying harder. It's not you being a better Christian. It's not you suddenly figuring it out. No, the the one who's going to beat your giant is Jesus. He's the only one that has the power to conquer every giant. He's the only one that has the strength. David is a picture of Jesus in many ways of what Jesus is going to do. He's going to come and the giant that's standing in your life, the giant of shame that's standing over saying, look what you did, look what you did, look what you did. Sorry, I'm not trying to pick on you, guy. Look what you did. <laughs> Where Jesus is going to stand up and say, Who, who's speaking against the living God right here? I defy you right now. And he kills the giants in our lives. My job is to get close to him and allow him to kill that giant. The other thing we do sometimes in reaction to the same, we just give up. We just quit. We just say, it's, it's just not working. It's just not working for me. I, I, can't, I can't get over this. I'm just, you know. And so we just say, we just kind of, 
you know, go on cruise control. I'm still alive. I'm just going to live life. But I, I, I have given up. I'm not trying anymore. And that is a stronghold of shame where you're just stuck in like, I can't do anything. I, I can't go anywhere. I, I, can't, I can't move forward. I can't, I can't go into God's future. You know, Hebrews 12 and verse 2 is a powerful verse uh, that I want us to read. Hebrews 12 and 2. I'm going to start in 1, which is not on the screen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, what what do you do normally? If someone's ashamed, what do they do? They drop their head, right? You just, you immediately, if if you, you know, if you're like, if you do something that, oh gosh, what does that happen? You just, your head drops, right? And so right here is one of the solutions is, Lift up your head. If you're caught in something and you are just like, you're like, I'm just covered with this nasty thing. I can't get out of it. Lift up your head. Jesus is still the answer. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the one, of course, who was completely humiliated on the cross for us. He was completely filled with shame. I mean, he was stripped in many, in many ways. We think he was probably literally naked. We can't show that on the movies and all that. We can't, we can't have that hanging in our wall and in, in the house uh, or whatever. But, I mean, he was, he was literally stripped naked before everyone and humiliated for all to see. That was the whole point of the crucifixion. It wasn't just to kill people. If they wanted to kill people, they could have just stabbed them with a sword and let them die. The whole point was to absolutely humiliate them and bring shame upon them and their family and everyone around them and put the... You know, put this amazing fear in in everyone else. Hey, look what's going to happen to you if you don't get things right. And Jesus is the one that said, you know what? It said he scorned the shame. In other words, he despised the shame. He's like, he's, I'm going to go through with this. It doesn't matter what comes upon me. I'm going to get to my people. I'm going to get to the cross. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Many people think, you know, that the prayer that Jesus says when he's like, not my will, God, but yours be done, that Jesus was like, hey, can I get out of the cross? Can I, can I, you know, is there, is there another option for me? But there's another angle to that, actually, that many believe that actually that prayer that Jesus was praying was, give me the strength, Father, so that I make it to the cross, so that my body doesn't give out before I get to that very point where I can, I can give every bit of my life for the world. You know, in Hebrews 2 and verse 10, I'll read, let me read that scripture too. It says that in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through, for whom and through everything exists, should make 
the pioneer of their salvation, perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. You know, Jesus is not ashamed of any person in this room. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus is not ashamed to call you a brother or sister. Because ultimately, that's what we are. We're the children of God the Father because we are, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are, the, we are the, in the family of God. We're now sons and daughters of the King. So Jesus is my brother. He's my older brother. It says He is not ashamed to call you His brother or His sister. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you did this week. Yeah, he wants you to stop doing it. Sure, absolutely. Because it hurts you. Because it destroys you. Why does God want people free from sin? So they act right and look like good people? No, so that they can live free lives. So they can live like they were created to be. To live in freedom and to live with joy. To live with peace. To live with abundance. That's what we're created to be. Shame causes me to live with none of those things. It causes me to hide out. It causes me to to put a wall between people close to me in my life. It causes me to hide away from God. It causes me not to press into God. It causes me to pray with less faith. It causes me not to share my faith. Because how can I share a faith in that that I haven't experienced the fullness of freedom in my own life? How can I celebrate and worship before the Lord if I believe I'm covered in nastiness and shame? So back to Isaiah 61, verse 7. It says, instead of your shame. (laughs) Oh, man. Instead of that shame, what do you get? A double. The word in Hebrew there is actually just a double. The word portion is not in the Hebrew. It says... Here's the deal. Instead of shame, you get double. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the, the prodigal son. You know, in Luke 15 is the parable of the prodigal son. What happens? The prodigal son says, give me my inheritance. And so he was the, the second born son, it looks like. And so he got one third of the property. The older son would have got the double portion two-thirds, and it says he goes off and he lives his life squandering it wildly. So he did all kinds of, basically, he is doing all kinds of shameful things. There's shame covering his life. There's just all this junk. And it finally says that he is, he gets a job trying to feed pigs, and he's so hungry, he's in such a bad place, that he actually says, I wish I could eat what these pigs are eating. And then he says, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to my father. I'm not going to come back as as his son. I'll just go be a servant. Like he treats everyone well. So if I just go work for him, I can be the lowest slave in his house and I'll be better off than I am in this pig pen right now. And so, I mean, don't you think that that son was in a place of horrific and terrible shame? 
And when he came back to the father, what does it say that the father did? What does it say that the father did? The father, not only, the father was looking for him. And it says, when he saw him on the distance, finally show up, it says, he ran. It's the same thing God does for us. All he's looking for is say, hey, my son, won't you come home? My daughter, won't you come home with me? You know, the double, the double here, the, the portion comes from the context. You know, in, in Hebrew, they translate, it's a pictorial language. So instead of disgrace, you'll receive your inheritance. And so we know because of that word inheritance that they're talking about a double portion. You know, the, the double portion in the, in the Hebrew Hebraic culture, the Jewish culture, was reserved for the firstborn son of the family. And you're like, man, that's kind of not fair. You know, what, what's up with that? Everybody didn't get the same thing. No, everybody didn't get the same thing. Here's the deal. The firstborn son, the firstborn son not only got a double portion, but he was in charge of the whole estate. In other words, if the mother was still living, he would be taking care of his mom or taking care of his sisters. So he was given charge over the household to carry on the name of the father and to, to see his, his life basically extended. And so exactly what is happening here is a great picture. Not only do we not get shame, but God says, guess what? I'm going to give you what's, what's rightfully belongs to the firstborn. Now, here's the deal. Who is God's firstborn? Jesus, so to speak. I mean, he wasn't born. We get that right. He was always there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever. Not, not created. The uncreated God. He was the only one of the... The, the Godhead that was born into the world, but basically his firstborn son, the firstborn over all creation, the one who was and is and is to come, Jesus Christ. He's the one that gets the double portion of the inheritance. But in this scripture, it says, hey, guess what? You're going to get it. After what I did? After what I've done? You're going to give me what Jesus deserves? That's the gospel. That's the good news. Isn't that good news? That's good news. After what you've done, and what you've done, and all, you, all of you have done, all the shameful things that we have all done, that God says, because of Jesus, I'm going to give you what I want to give Him. It's not that I'm just going to cover up your shame. I'm not just going to make you a nice set of clothes. So we can kind of, let's just cover that stuff up. That way no one sees it. We're going to put you in the back, you know, like, you know, there's a there's a section for the the really bad people. You know, we don't want anybody to see you. I'm going to let you in. You know, you can come in, but don't please don't interact with anyone. You know, don't you know, don't go on public too often. You know, don't wear a Christian T-shirt because we don't want you know, we don't want people to look at you and go, oh, that's a Christian. No, 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 no. What 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 God says is, guess what? No. Hey, come up front here. Right up here. And in fact, guess what? Come sit next to me on the throne here. It says that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Where is Jesus sitting in heaven? On the throne. (laughs) On the right hand of God the Father. And then on the right hand of Jesus is the people of God. And you wonder why the angels are amazed at what God did with with the human race. 
It says throughout, it says angels even long to look into these things like they're like going, what is going on? This is amazing. This is incredible that God could do this, that God would do this, that God chose to do this. What do you want to do now, babe? If you have an idea, now's the time to tell me. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. We're going to respond. We need to respond to this. This message is a strong, is a strong message, and I get it's a serious thing. So this is, this is probably a time with just you and God. We're not here to confess. If you need to confess and God tells you, that's fine. We can, we can do that. We can do that with you. Uh, sometimes that helps bring freedom from shame. It's just getting it out from the darkness into the light. But if you need to, if you need to respond to God today, let's let's stand up. Let's go ahead and just change our posture just a little bit. Some something worshipful, sir. Not just instrumental, maybe would be great. And I want the I mean I want the worship team to be able to respond if they want to. So I w- I would have the worship team come up. I guess I could go up. Um, but you know God doesn't want us to stay in this place. If you're stuck in a place of shame. So we we thank you right now, Lord. Let's just close our eyes and open our hearts to the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we declare that shame has been broken in lives here. If you have something that is holding you back, well, I just everybody's eyes closed right now. Just right now, if you just feel like I just need to be cleansed, I just feel like I am just I am just covered in nastiness and I can't get away from it. Just kind of lift your hands up to the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus, right now, from the top of our fingers to the bottom of our toes, Lord. We thank you right now for releasing these ones from shame in Jesus' name, that we will live free from it, God. We break its power in the name of Jesus. We thank you that the cross of Jesus Christ is enough to cover everyone, God. And we thank you, Lord, that there will be no hindrance, Lord, that that every single one of us will be drawn into the presence of God. No more hiding, no more running. No more, no more, no more just, no more giving up. Thank you, Lord. And right now, Jesus, in the middle of this really tender place, I, I just sense that the Lord... 
the trade-in is really true, that he wants to release a double portion of honor, that he wants you, maybe for the first time in your life, to feel honored. Right now, God, I just pray that you would release radical deliverance in hearts that have been caught up in addiction. I just declare over you right now, just radical deliverance that the Lord would come and like just pull things out by the roots in your heart in the name of Jesus. And I believe that as you are willing to lay these things at his feet, that he will begin to remove desire from your flesh for earthly harmful things. Lord, begin to rewire minds. Thank you, Jesus. stay in this place, but I want to encourage you that if this is for you today, before you leave this house, I want you to do a prophetic act, and it can be subtle, I don't care, but I want you to walk to this front before you leave the house today. And do the prophetic act of dumping your shame on the altar. Because here's the thing about shame. Sometimes we we have really hard things in our lives and right now you're dealing with it with Jesus. But you don't ever actually make a move. 
And you can leave this place and, and think, was that real? Did that happen? I don't know. And so today, I want you to just do the prophetic act before you leave. Just walking up to the front and just setting your shame down here. And I want you to leave through those doors without it. And then this week, I want you to just remind yourself, no, I laid my shame down. I picked up double. Thank you, Lord, for making us really brave today. For releasing courage. In Jesus' name. Death could not hold you, veiled or before you, silence the boast of sin and grief. Heavens are roaring, praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again you have no rival you have no equal now and forever God you reign yours is the kingdom yours is the glory yours is the name above all names this death could not hold you the veil tore before you you silenced the boast the sin and grave the heavens are roaring praise of your glory for you are raised to life again and you have no rival you have no equal now and forever God you reign yours is the kingdom Yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is, what a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Now 
all over just in the house a little bit let's just let's just fill the 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 place with our praise right now jesus we honor you jesus we honor you jesus we thank you jesus you are above all else we give you praise and glory god release the everlasting joy in hearts today god release it in hearts today everlasting joy unstoppable joy unsinkable joy in jesus name we honor you today, O oh God. We thank you, Jesus, for the joy set before you. You endured the cross, despising its shame. Thank you, Lord. I'd rather be no place I'd rather be no place I'd rather be than here in your love here in your love no place I'd rather be no place I'd rather be no place I'd rather be and here in your love, here in your love, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Oh, we want more of you, Lord. All our hearts, oh, praise and glory for what you've done in hearts today, God. We honor you today. Let's just give God just a little bit more praise as we close today. Jesus, we thank you, oh God. Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to walk in freedom. Freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.